Reed, are you a fan of Elvis Presley? Yes, I am. I am. Probably not as big as my dad, but yes. Interesting news this week. At an auction, a jar of Elvis Presley's hair Mm. sold for $72,000. Apparently, his personal barber would save some of the hair trimmings, and apparently that is uh, what sold at an auction. Uh, What do you do with that? How do I even know it's real? Well, apparently there he has the paperwork that confirms the origins and testimonials of people saying that, yes, this is hair he collected. Like, I understand it's like, well, here's a guitar pick. Here's used guitar strings, even. I don't know what you do with hair. Maybe it's the guy that also has uh, Ted Williams' head frozen. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 242. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, don't mind me. I'm over here, Reed, um, just trimming my hair and collecting it in a jar for potential collectors sometime in the future. Yeah. 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 Maybe we can, I don't know. It comes with like the latest TPS report or something. Who are, who are the 500th subscriber? One 1,000th subscriber? I don't know. I think we want people to subscribe. This sounds like it's we're preventing people from wanting to subscribe. Maybe if you're the 1,000th subscriber, you can say who you want it sent. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for, if it's your first time, welcome. If this is uh, a repeat visit, welcome back. A couple of quick plugs before we jump into the show. Touchpoint.health is the website. It's where you can find out more about this episode you're listening to or the show as a whole, a little bit about Chris or myself, all that there at Touchpoint.health, along with about 20 other shows all healthcare related, different topics, different slants on the industry, different points of views, obviously different show hosts. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I will put a plug in for DataPoint. Good friend Greg Matthews, after a uh, hiatus for the summer, is back with a new season of DataPoint. So be sure to tune in there. And uh, also, while you're over at the site, You'll notice kind of up at the top something that says the TPS rep- report up in the uh, the top navigation there. If you click on that and give us your email address, we promise not to uh, do anything nefarious with it. You will simply get one email a week from us. One email each Monday morning with five articles to start off your weeks. Sign up for that. We'd appreciate it. Also, uh, rate, review, subscribe, certainly wherever you listen, uh, and tell somebody about the show. So we'll pause here and then uh, jump back in with today's episode uh, in just one moment. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. 
Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. It's safe to say, Reed, that we are facing some significant challenges, you know, in our industry right now. And we've talked about this before. We know the pandemic has caused a lot of stress, but there, there are a lot of changes and movements that are happening within our industry that it's becoming really, really hard if you're a leader in an organization, wouldn't you say? Yeah, a leader within an organization, uh, certainly just working within this industry, to your point, has become uh, very tough over the last, uh, going on almost two years now, 18 months or so. And we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but uh, we've got a, a new blog post out. It was actually in the TPS report today, but a new blog post over at Gerard called Tired of Being Your Hero. Um, and so this is obviously around the idea of burnout. Uh, and really what healthcare workers are dealing with today and kind of what we're seeing in the industry. So we thought as we kind of wade into this episode, we're not going to spend a ton of time on, on this post, but just a couple of points of interest as we kind of make our way into the idea of, of change and change management. Yeah, strongly encourage people to click through and read this because it's a, really a, a conversation that your peers over at Gerard had with Dean Browell about some of the different impacts that nurses and physicians are having. Clinician burnout, the you know burnout from the pandemic, but also we talked about this a couple episodes ago, right? About how there's the, all these people are like shifting their careers, maybe making some significant decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look kind of through this article, I think, you know, some of the things that jump out to me, it's not that there hasn't been burnout in the past. And matter of fact, one of Dr. Brian Vardabedian's very first episodes of his podcast, The Exam Room, was on physician burnout. Go take a listen to it. It's actually really good. I mean, it's several years old at this point. So it's not like this is a super new topic. I think this is just the first time it's been industry-wide, maybe. You know, there's been pockets, been areas of the country or certain roles, you know, maybe that have experienced this through uh, the last, you know, handful of years even. But we're just seeing it so public now. Uh, you know, one thing that, that Dean mentions here is that, you know, he's hearing a lot, you know, from nurses around, maybe this uh, industry isn't right for me, right? So people are kind of questioning why they're doing this. Is this still where I want to spend my time? You know, is this still what's right for me and my family? That's significant. And when we think about, you know, nursing, but uh, I would say generally all people that work in that this industry, we're there very much with purpose. And to have people asking, is this really something I want to do? That's that's pretty profound. Uh, you know, the other things too, though, Reed, right? It's like the, the all the new entrants into the space, how we're being competitive, they're being hard hit. Uh, Dean talked a little bit about how physicians and physician groups are now starting to look at non-traditional entrants into the marketplace as like strong competition and maybe even ones that they should consider, hey, maybe I should go work for them instead of the traditional way. What does this mean, right? I mean, for those that are listening to the show, certainly it impacts the organizations you work in uh, pretty significantly. 
But if you just think more on a personal level about, you know, just getting care in the healthcare system, I'm seeing a lot of articles towards the end of last week, especially around the state of Idaho, you know, potentially rationing care. You know, they're, they're full. Well, they're full, you know, you can be full from a real estate standpoint, like there's no beds available and that kind of thing. Sometimes there are beds available, but there's no one to staff them. Yeah. I think this plays into a lot of different things within the healthcare system. It's not just about, we need more nurses because we need more nurses. You know, it's like, you know, drawing the, all the way down to just a personal level. What does this mean for I really need to go see a physician for my annual well check. But do I put that off? Because it's like, I don't know if I really want to go to a doctor's office right now. There's just cascading effects to just everything that's happening right now. And the idea of staffing and our calling within the industry and things like that is, is one of those, certainly. And that's putting an unprecedented amount of pressure on leadership. Because in many cases, leadership is is there to we we a lot of us have been focusing on how do we start to manage through this you know what we thought we we're going to come out of the pandemic there was like a brief you know maybe five weeks this summer we were like oh we're turning the corner things are getting better and now we're not how do we manage that yeah. right and so that's why you know we wanted to talk a little bit we found an article here from health leaders they actually interviewed a number of hospital and health system CEOs, and it, they came out with four leadership types for 2021. thought it might be interesting for us to kind of go through those. Let's do that. So the first one they call out here is the proven entrepreneur. Hmm. Just at face value, I think that's very interesting because people are starting to think about doing things differently, right? Or what the opportunity is or, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, you know, one of the call outs here, which which I think is a great one, is that, you know, there's one thing to have an idea. I can come up with a lot of ideas. Exactly. I know a couple of songwriters now living in Nashville. Like, I can come up with a bunch of song titles. <laughs> right? I don't have a single song published. The point is, like, you know, one thing to come up with an idea, a whole nother thing to implement it. That they agree that they have to be active participants in this idea of innovation and that that has to be a key part of their job. Well, innovation is no longer something that's a nice to have, right? It has to be now sort of in, in becoming a core value, as this article points out, because, you know, executives, leading executives, they have to be ready to respond to how the market is changing, what demands are, but moreover, not only respond to that, but put plans into action like an entrepreneur would. You have to be quick. You, no longer can you make decisions that take six months or a year because the market's changed so quickly. So that's one of the four leadership types. Another leadership type that they call out is one that's called the active convener. Oh. What they say here is that leaders must work to make their healthcare organizations the voice of health and well-being and be active influencers in their community. It's a little bit of a different take than the entrepreneur. You know, I've seen some some leaders around the country that are really good at this. You know, they talk about the the need to convene, you know, these key stakeholders, you know, local government, social services, you know, other maybe business leaders or other organizations within the community, even competitor uh, organizations. You know, it's like, how do you bring everybody together for kind of the greater good of this community that we live in? I can think of a lot of communities that I've been around through the years and even work with now where there's two primary systems in town. 
right? And they've got about a 50-50 market share. This one maybe does a few things better than this one. And this one does a few of the other things better than the other one. How do you still work together and collaborate for the better good of the community? Yeah, that sounds like a, a very important component of what we do as as leaders in health systems. And, you know, imagine trying to put together what that intricate relationship would be for your your community and you have to be influential you know and oftentimes not only local i've seen some big large health systems are also influential at the statewide level as well and it's all about that that convening together around how do we work to better the health and well-being of our society third role they point out is the chief accountability officer so they're talking here that the, the fact that CEOs, they must resolve to stay accountable to their organization's strategic goals and focus on what's important to the health organization. They have to really think about all these colleagues and staff members and trying to bring them along. I think you know this is probably what they, they point out here, maybe something that, that a lot of folks are probably already doing is really driving into that mission and vision and values that that's not just an exercise and something that's like on the wall as you approach the administrative offices of the organization. It's like really how do you demonstrate this and lead this uh, and, and bring everybody along? Yeah, a big part of this too is embracing uh, transparency and being able to share openly with all of your employees what our goals are and how we're advancing towards them. And in addition, they, they point out here that you have to be a really good communicator and your communication has to be ample, clear, and continuous. All of those factors kind of put together. Boy, these are really different leadership types. And let me get to the fourth one here, Reed, the compassionate advocate this is where leaders have to be flexible and resilient in leading their organizations by displaying compassion, humility, and vulnerability in their leadership. That's another facet of the role. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think the you know, the transparency around living up to the values of the organization and things like that in their own lives, their own roles, I think is something that we'll probably see more and more. I think the compassion, humility part... I think all of that is a little bit of a different side than we've probably historically seen from leaders uh, within healthcare. Not because they aren't good people and you know and weren't doing the right things. I just don't think it was as needed from them. Right? It was more around people's direct reports and bosses and things like that. And that's you know you always heard you know people left jobs because of who they worked for you know and that kind of thing. And I think that's still obviously very true. But this idea of compassion, the way people view leaders within some of these organizations, uh, you know, they've got to be more real and down kind of in and amongst uh, everybody. Yeah. And also talk about mental health and kind of advocate for good, healthy work-life balance. One of the persons they interviewed even turned that psychological PPE, which I thought was an interesting mm. turn of phrase there. But really talk about resources, about how they can ensure that they're managing that work-life balance the right way. It's, it's, it's interesting because there is this undue stress and anxiety that the pandemic is causing still to this day with our staff. And if leaders at health systems can do all of those things that we just described, be an entrepreneur, be an active community convener, be accountable and hold people true to their mission, vision, values kind of approach, and be compassionate, and well-being, I think that sets the right environment for organizations to kind of weather through whatever is presented in front of them. 
I think so. I mean, it's certainly the right start. It's something that, you know, maybe even a framework, you know, so these are four roles as, as they're talking about them. Uh, but it may be a way to, uh, as a leader, whether that's the leader of the entire organization, part of the organization, a department, maybe you're just a manager, to kind of think, well, what, what can I pull from these? How do, how do I become more part of the solution, kind of that entrepreneurial piece of it? You know, what ideas do I have? How do I voice those in, in the right way? Convener, accountability, compassion. You know, some of these are qualities that we like in people. And so, you know, how do I take this and make this part of my day-to-day is, is something to really consider as we think about, you know, how this is changing as we move forward. Well, speaking of frameworks and changing, when we come back from the break, Reed, let's let's revisit one of my favorite models of change management and leading through change. That is the eight-step process from John Cotter. And I think it would be interesting for us to kind of revisit those eight steps and kind of talk through them. But let's do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so practically, how do we lead through change? You know, we talked about change. We talked about some of the, the maybe the qualities uh, that would be great. You know, as you think about how you're re-envisioning your role within the organization and things like that. Let's jump now to this this article, Chris, that you found the the eight step process for leading through change. Yeah, and now John Cotter is kind of renowned in the industry as sort of a change leader, right? So I, I always come back to this model because I found that it works over and over again. And quite frankly, the article we're linking to in the show notes is basically at a high level of the eight steps. And you could drill into each and every one of these as you kind of learn a little bit more. There's a lot of robust stuff. This is on his website that we're, we're linking to here. But yeah, the eight steps to change, I use it quite often when I go through managing an organization through change. The first step is creating a sense of urgency. This is really where you, as a leader, convener of a a team, you help others see the need for change through bold aspirational opportunities, and maybe even make a statement or like a vision statement, as we've talked about before, that communicates the importance of acting and not only acting, but acting fast. That's the urgency there. There's a risk of doing that because you don't want to create a false sense of urgency. It really has to be grounded in real urgency. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's kind of the boy that cried wolf type scenario. Just, you know, be cognizant of what you're leading people towards and how you're talking about it. Uh, second one mentioned here is building a guiding coalition. Obviously, folks need someone to lead. And so the idea of governance or having this group of people that are effective and born out of that group of folks to guide it, coordinate, communicate, you know, those types of things. That's why we see governance bodies work really well when we're onboarding new technology, right? You're pulling the sub, you're pulling people from different parts of the organization, HR and, 
you know, the philanthropic side of the organization and communications, et cetera, to really kind of help drive and lead this initiative so people understand that they've kind of got a voice through a leader at those ranks. Or a group of leaders or a group of people. They, you know, it's interesting. It does, they don't have to all hold the same title. It's probably better they don't. John Connor calls it a volunteer army, which is an interesting turn of phrase. But really, people that are kind of saying, okay, this is what we need to do. Let's guide it. And which leads to point number three, to form that strategic vision and the initiatives that come out of it. Now, that sounds really easy. And I know we've all gone through exercises of forming strategic visions or even building work plans and initiatives and stuff. This is really clarifying how the future can be different from the past and how you can make that future reality through certain initiatives linked through the, the, through that, you know, vision that you described. So when you think about like digital transformation initiatives, the successful ones talk about like what, if we accomplish this, this is what will be different for people at the end of this. Spoiler alert, it's not necessarily that they'll have a fancier new technology, Mm. but what it'll be is, you know, our customers will be happier or our work product will be much easier to execute, will be more efficient. Creating that vision and those initiatives associated with it helps you to paint the light of what it could be when we get through this, when we get through this particular initiative. The fourth in the list is to enlist a volunteer army. So they talk a lot about change and how it occurs uh, and, and that kind of thing. And you want people that are certainly are bought in and urgent to help drive this change and help kind of move everything in the same direction. I think this is interesting because, you know, this is kind of how we think about, you know, advocacy. You think about creating content. Well, how do you find people that are really good at doing that within the organization and enlist them to be advocates and help kind of move this forward? It's not really any different, you know, as we've thought about other initiatives. Who's good at this? You know, who can help us where it's not just somebody standing up on high saying, hey, we should all do this thing over here. You know, we have people that you know, are advocates and already good at it and advocating for it in, in and amongst their departments and team meetings and things like that. So enlisting that volunteer army. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where you could bring in your own team members. And as a leader, this becomes really important, as you said, Reed, to ensure that we're recruiting the right people in our volunteer army. There are going to be some people that may not be really good in this volunteer army, right? They're adverse to change or they're resistant. And it's not to say that we're going to leave those people behind. We just involve them in a different way in the process. You really want to get people that can help make the decisions and move it forward. And that leads clearly to the next step, stage five of the eight, which is enabling action by removing barriers. This is the important piece as a leader. If you can remove barriers, such as inefficient processes, hierarchies, silos, whatever it might be, for those that volunteer army, right, that group of people to start to work together more effectively, and your role as a leader becomes less as the person that's standing out in front of this army directing, but more of, I, I need help getting through this one particular barrier. I need one, one help negotiating, you know, how do I talk to this particular person and bring them on board with us and that sort of thing. That is a true sense of leadership in this particular role here. The sixth in the list, which I think, you know, after you remove those barriers, I think this is really important, but is, you know, generating short-term wins. You know, don't make it about all or nothing. We need constant kind of recognition, reinforcement to kind of keep that energy and that momentum, those short-term wins. Like, what can we do first? What What's the 
you know, gosh, I hate saying low hanging fruit, but what's the low hanging fruit <laughs> of things that we can go ahead and start checking off the list and start gaining some momentum, you know, use to kind of energize and, and move things forward. So I think short term and, and kind of wins along the way even is a great way to kind of think about that. And be sure to celebrate those wins too. Uh, make space for you to be able to celebrate a short-term win and 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 use that to amplify and continue the sustained movement towards change. And not surprisingly, this leads to one of my favorite steps in the eight-step process, step seven, sustain acceleration. Another way I've heard this said is never give up. This is the part where it's really, really hard because change happens rapidly and slowly at the same time. You have to figure out the right way to sustain that acceleration. You have your initial first short-term successes. You can use those successes to gain credibility, to start to reinforce and kind of put more wind into the sails of your volunteer army, so to speak. You can start to improve system structures, et cetera, but you have to be relentless with initiating change until you see that vision as a reality because it doesn't happen overnight. That could take the form in many different ways with your organization, but however it is, keep infusing like, yeah, this is great. We're, we're on the path. We're keep moving. Don't give up. You know, it's going to be the cheerleader for the team. And, and then finally, institute change draw those and kind of articulate those connections between these new behaviors and the success that we're seeing. You know, make sure that, you know, we continue to reinforce good behavior, if you will, until it really becomes a habit. We all have habits and there's habits in place now. So to to try to change something, you've got to continue to celebrate those wins. You got to continue to kind of reinforce and do those things along the way that that really put us in a, in a framework and a frame of mind that this is this is the way this is going forward. Yeah, and you know, I think of something very simple as like measuring a marketing campaign more effectively could be a very mi- minor way mm-hmm. of like doing mm-hmm. change management. These are could be much macro, right? Or transforming the entire marketing tech strategy, for example, or you know, shifting the way we work with our employees and communicate with our employees about benefits of working within our organizations. All of these can have some form of a change management strategy behind them, which I think that you can apply these eight steps very effectively if you keep track of them. Link through to, in the show notes and learn a little bit more if, you, if you're not familiar with these, these eight steps. I think they're really interesting. It's clear that leadership is crucial and important. And I think that leads us naturally to the interview that we're about to have. I mentioned to you that Rodney Ryder, who's been on the show before, and he's been in healthcare for a number of years. He's worked as a practicing CEO at a health system. He's worked with uh, health tech startups. He's worked internationally. And he recently published a book called Grabbing the Next Rung, The Heart of Leadership, which is really specifically about his perspective on leadership in the healthcare space. It's really a fascinating interview I had. And Rodney is a great, great person to talk to. He's got a lot of great insights and the interview itself was really fascinating. So after this break, we'll give it a listen and then Reed and I will be back to close out the show. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast, and I am delighted to have a repeat guest joining us again today. Rodney, I think this is your third time on the show. Is that right? Yes, Chris, it is. I'm so excited. Thank you for allowing me to come back to visit you and your listeners. 
Well, Rodney, I always enjoy having a chance to talk to you. And I, I didn't say your full name. Rodney Ryder is joining us here today. Rodney, welcome to the show. Would you mind sharing with people a little bit about your background and your expertise? I'd be happy to. Chris, I've been a CEO for a number of years, 25 plus years, overseeing hospitals and health systems and clinics and long-term care, all the continuum of, of healthcare as well. And then more recently, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of venture capital, private equity firms. And then I took a, a kind of a little sidelight and uh, wrote a book at the same time while I was doing some traveling. And I actually uh, got my doctorate done. So I've been trying to do some different things and grow in different areas. So I'm kind of excited to talk about healthcare today. Well, I, I apologize. I should have said Dr. Rodney Ryder. It's okay. now on the show. <laughs> Congratulations. That's quite an accomplishment. You have a robust, rich experience, Rodney, and I really enjoy um, just learning from you. Every conversation I have with you is so engaging, and I know that people listening are going to be thrilled by what we're going to be talking about today, which is basically around what you teased out is the book that you wrote. Tell us a little bit about this book. You know, being in healthcare this long, I just, I just want to help. First, this is the best industry you can possibly be in. I just love the people of healthcare. And so thinking about ways that I could help them, besides the leading side, is, is looking at what I could do for support when I'm not actually in a hospital or in a clinic. I was doing a lot of traveling, have been doing a lot of traveling. I was in Israel. I was in Belarus working with some hospitals there, seeing the inside of different countries of how they approach their healthcare. And in my times at airports and and even in the apartment or hotel, I, I thought, i got to put some things together. So I, I really wanted to focus on how we could support our aspiring and emerging leaders. A lot of times, I'll, I'll step back as a CEO or an executive team. We will be doing our jobs, busy, trying to support everybody, and then suddenly we have an opening, and we're aware of a very talented clinical person or, or highly technical that's just really been able to shine in that area. And we'll move them into that leadership position without all of the support or, or even helping them to know what their expectations and, and spending time with them to explain what the mission is and some of the things that you, you, we really want to be doing to, to make sure a person is going to succeed in that role. And so I thought, how can I, how can I help with that piece? So that was my first portion. How can I support both the executive team and those aspiring leaders or those emerging leaders of wanting to move into that side of the business in terms of leadership. And then the second piece, I was wanting to make sure to let people know if you didn't want to go into leadership, you can still have an incredible impact. And that impact of leadership does not always go with a title. It can be a, a point of influence, how you approach things, how you care for others within your community of, of work, your colleagues, and you're really serving the mission in a different way. Then the third portion I was wanting to focus on in, in writing this book was the, the executive team or other leaders to remind us why we entered that responsibility in the first place. And then step into that responsibility, what it meant of, of not only taking it in the first place, reminding us, but also what it would mean to support those that we were looking at for the future, to set up the culture that we wanted to have that successful continuum uh, even after we left. And so that was my thoughts behind the book. And so after each chapter, I even have a couple questions to help the team to work through that together. If you wanted to do a book club for your leadership team or those that are considering getting into a leadership role, here's a way we can approach that. So we know what we're expecting together. That was my thoughts when I was writing the book. 
Yeah, so the book is called Grabbing the Next Rung, The Heart of Leadership. I love that. Reed and I have been talking about like how leadership in healthcare and hospitals have changed over time. So much so now we're in this, you know, it's not even, I can't call it post-pandemic. We're not even in the post-pandemic stage. We're still in the pandemic. Pandemic stage four? I don't know what to call it anymore, right? <laughs> yes. How do you see leadership, the role of leadership changing? We know that pandemic has driven a lot of change. And, and that's right. I talk about the incredible people in healthcare overall. Some of the things they've been able to do innovation-wise, I have a chapter on innovation, but you know the miracle is still occurring every day with the empathy they've shown, the kindness. I, I have to digress slightly, but there was the pandemic going on. I'm in the hospital and I was asked to come up to a wedding that was going to occur in one of the rooms. And I thought, well, this is really interesting. And I think, well, you know, the COVID issues with the, the distance and et cetera for one of the patients. And going up to the room, I discovered that the staff had put together a wedding celebration for a gentleman that was going to be passing away, they thought, in two weeks. But he had a, you know, a lady that he had been in love with for a number of years. And I bring that up because it shows the heart of what leadership is, that kind of impact. And anytime you're going through change, you have fear and anxiety. So you you remind the team how great they are, what they can do, and the ex- executives. We executives have to have to be there with them, and by being there with them, we're we're alleviating some of those fears, some of that anxiousness that they're experiencing, which is natural. You're grounding them, and then that frees them up to do the innovation side. And that innovation is where we're getting these creative methodologies, not just remote stuff, but through telehealth, other other type of remote monitoring, all kinds of stuff, as well as really advanced care within the hospital itself or within the clinics themselves. And in looking at the change as a leader, you're really taking those steps to let the, the teams know they're not alone. And I think that's key. How do you make sure that they're aware of, well, if it wasn't the COVID virus, what else do we do? You have the training, you have the expertise. Let me remind you how great you are. And that allows them then to take those steps, not only dealing with the patient coming in front, but but constantly looking at how I can improve the care, putting the patient in the center and building the systems around that patient actually is always the way to go for building, building programs that provide the best care and the best patient experience. And so when I, when I look at change and, and that's what I was trying to do here too with, with uh, the book was what do we need to do as executive team to allow those people that want to get into leadership positions to grow, even in these types of situations, they see us by example, but we also give them opportunity to be innovative or to step up in the role. I have a, a letter I got from a gentleman after leaving one of the hospitals, and this goes to the leadership team. But he mentioned that the guidance and leadership that you showed have provided him with a wonderful framework that he uses now to lead. Staying calm, reassuring, promoting to those around you, the ability to find solutions and support the actions and really mostly had to be on the front line, being present, supporting and encouraging everyone. And it's not lost on me that a lot of these skill sets don't typically happen when you look at, you know, promoting people from within, right? They, they have the knowledge expertise of the role, but they don't necessarily have those leadership skills. Grabbing the next rung outlines different rungs of leadership. So let's talk about those, those rungs, so to speak, because I'm curious about this. So I, I kind of did a framework of, 
of really understanding the key components of, of really the positive impact of true leadership. So I try to give a number of stories or, or illustrations of what that means. We've all experienced good leaders and, and frankly, poor leaders. What sticks in your mind? How can we reinforce that? So I was trying to share that in the book. And then, you know, the aspiring leader, even the emerging leader, they need to determine if this is really what they want to do. And like you just said, the, the clinical and the technical person has incredible skills. They're so talented. They're, they're great at providing care. They're great at, at interacting with the patient. Does that translate into being a great leader? It may or may not. We don't know enough, but we should be as executive teams looking at those people and saying, how do we support you to determine both for the organization, but also for you, if this is where you want to head. So they need to decide if it's right for them. And then what, what price are you going to pay? What is the cost you're assuming when you step into that role? What do you need to be looking at? What's the long-term educational needs that you have? What's the, even the relationship changes with those that were your colleagues before that now you're in charge of? You know, there are frustrations in any job. But in a leadership position, you have frustrations, but you're still the one setting the tone and the example wherever you have an interaction with anybody. Your floor, the, the other wing, the physicians, you know, go down the line. So you have to weigh that cost. And then... I really think we have to remind each other, and that's what I was attempting to do, almost in a mentor role, of the, the need for a, a plan that, and, and having focus and discipline around that plan and making sure the commitment's there, that you're setting up a framework for people within the organization to be innovative and working from a strategic point of view. All those components that you wouldn't know because you're clinically and technically incredibly skilled, but it's required when you get into leadership. So the leaders at the executive level need to be setting that, that framework and that process so that the other ones not, not only know what they're getting into, but you're supporting them all the way through. I like that framework, the understand, determine, weigh the cost, and then work from a plan. I think those are really, really helpful and insightful ways as a leader. And I, I know that you, this can be applied to frontline leaders to all the way up to executives. I mean, this is a, a nice framework, but it, it really makes me curious now. Can you share a few of the rungs of leadership that you're referring to? I sure can. So I, I tried to frame it so that people were thinking through the process as they stepped into each rung, what it meant to climb to that next rung, how how you can continue to acquire the mental skill set, the philosophical approach to be a great leader. And so each rung is a step on that. So the first one is really around impact for others. We have that impact at whatever place we're presently situated. If you're working in housekeeping, if you're working in as an administrative assistant, if you're working at any level in the lab, you are impacting people as a leader. And that leadership means you're setting a tone, you're setting a level of, of trust and commitment to those around you because you are placed there for a reason. We can all do that. We can do that right where we stand. Chapter two, then I look at where do you choose to fit? So back to my point when I was mentioning regarding determining if leadership is right for them in that four point framework, there's different choices you need to make. And that personality that, that is in each, in each different level from corporate to, to the site has to tie in with what you believe and what you want to accomplish as a leader. So I, I really try to set a, a process that they can walk through. And each chapter then has the questions behind it to, to ponder a little bit deeper or if you're working with a team. So I did a, a book club each time I've been at a leadership position, different hospitals or, or health system. And that leadership team, we would decide to read a book each month and then go off site 
And that offsite time became so special to us that it grew greatly. We had physicians coming and wanted to be a part of this because the discussion was so free without all of the, not all of it, but sometimes the barriers we may place because of our title or our comfortability. But sitting there walking through this, we would take three things out of what we learned to try to apply back to our, our organization. And these were outside of our industry learnings, what they were doing you know, in the IT world with Amazon, all, all different kinds of topics. And I bring that up because just the other day I was talking to a physician that I worked with and he shared with me a quote from one of the books we read 10 years ago and how, how meaningful that was to him that he felt he was a part of something bigger than himself. And that's what leaders do. They set that bigger than themselves approach or goals for people's lives because they spend so much time working. That choice to fit is important in what you're deciding where you want to be. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, and it's interesting when you talk about that, like, you know, being a leader, you're setting a, a bigger context, right, for what your role is. And that really speaks to me because I really feel that's that's the uh, the role of a leader is to be able to do that, is to kind of give context to the individual. And I know we kind of do that through in some organizations where you have goals that relate to, you know, your leader's goals, which ultimately roll up to the system goals. But I try to do it in a much more realistic, pragmatic way, in ways that that actually they can feel and they can experience. Imagine with me, I talk to a lot of my employees about you know how the website and developing the website actually can Im- positively impact the patient experience. That sometimes is a little bit of a, of a of a far stretch for them, but when we can show anecdotes and stories of how those things work together, I think that just becomes much more real for them. Just to build on what you said too, that's why I use a lot of stories because that storytelling that we have, it, it not only sets an example, but it influences you constantly. As opposed to saying, you know, you know, do these five things as a leader, you're you're looking at that part that's bigger than yourself, and here's a real life example of what it means. And I think that can really you to reuse your word resonate with people. That's my thoughts behind that. The next chapter I was really looking at focus, discipline, and a plan. So we never have enough time as as leaders ever. And you can say that probably for anybody as individuals. So how do you focus on what's important? How do you reprioritize? It's not just setting priorities. You're always reprioritizing to make sure you're using your energy and your focus on the appropriate things to have the biggest impact to go back to that overarching point of really why you're in that organization, what you're trying to accomplish overall. And in a hospital, for example, patient again in the center, build the systems around them. How am I the person with my focus and discipline building that, that system around that incredibly important person because that's that's a human being that I'm responsible for to impact. And that includes the stories that you tell in the marketing, the digital side. That reinforces to, to the larger community of how we really care for people and care for each other. And so I was trying to set the tone there for the people that reading the book to say, I want to be the person that has that impact because I'm looking at the right things of how to spend my day because there's never enough time. So again, it's, it's constantly reprioritizing what's most important. That's sometimes such a difficult thing to do for not only leaders, but I mean, I think for organizations at times, because it seems like there's so much, uh, you know, ahead of us that we have so many opportunities. You're so right. There's always, always priorities, competing priorities. And, and where do we want to spend our time? Let's hear a few of the, the other rungs that you have kind of outlined because I'm, I'm resonating really greatly with this, Rodney. So if you're not spending your time on the right things, the next chapter is really the other side of that. You're going to feel tired. You often feel tired. Why do you feel tired? Because I'm not spending my time 
the skills and the gifts that I have, I'm not utilizing them. That has the greatest impact on the organization and also not the best way of, of my life being spent for me either. You want to be the best version of yourself. How do you do that? You use your gifts and skills to focus on those things that are most appropriate for you to have the largest impact overall. And that, that chapter, I, I have so many people I've come across over my career, and you may have too, they talk about tired or you even ask them, at least it's not Monday, you know, the, the kind of when you ask them how they're doing those type of things. Well, it's Friday. Well, how do we help people to see what's necessary for their lives as leaders to be spending it on the right things? And so this is the other side of that. If they're feeling exhausted all the time or they're tired of some of these issues, that that's a, a signal to analyze what maybe what else maybe they should be doing. You're saying a lot of things that really echo some of the things that we're seeing. There are a lot of people um, in our industry right now that are tired and kind of overdrawn and overworked and feel a little bit stressed about the current situation, not just because of change management, just because of a number of other things. And so aligning to that, I think that is very valuable for leaders in our organization to react to and, and, and address at this point. And with the tiredness that's going on, a lot of that is justified as well. And so that becomes an issue of executive leadership to say, what can I step in to do to help support them? How do I show I care to give them the necessary break that they can come back, re-energize, re- revitalize to, to look at what they're doing? And, and they're not tired because they're not in the right role or not focused on the right things. They're just tired because they're working all the time, covering during this time period, or it's emotionally draining. So again, how do we set up those systems to support them? And that's an indicator that we are, are, I think, as leaders aren't doing our job and stepping in to see where we can help. So we all need vacations. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, you know, there is there's this concept with lean manufacturing about going into the Gemba, you know, where you go to the where the work happens to understand things. I wrote a blog post a few years ago about getting out of the Gemba as a way to kind of clear your mind to help you refocus. And so in, in part, this is kind of what you're, you're alluding to, right? It's like getting away from the, the work because, because we're so involved. We work so hard. We have to kind of take a step back occasionally. And it's really hard for leaders to step back because we have such a commitment to wanting that work to happen. Yes, we want the organization to be the best. Actually, I give an example in there about a CEO that really didn't give people a break at all, calling them on the weekends, sending emails constantly all, all hours of the day and night. Well, that's not what we should be doing to support our team. Yeah, these are important issues, but isn't that person more important as one of our team leaders to have the break they need so they can do exactly what you said, re-energize, become revitalized, spend time with their family, spend time with others that they love so that they are, are replenished. They can come back then fresh and be able to say, all right, I'm back here and, and I should be, as opposed to, gosh, I'm still really tired. So that I, I put that burden on us as leaders to make sure we're supporting our teams. Gosh, leadership is hard work. <laughs> yes, it can be. That's why you got to make sure you're deciding if you're going to go into, you got to be the best. And that best means you're looking after others. And so make that decision wisely. Yeah. You know, I think that that makes a lot of sense, uh, Rodney. And, um, you know, I know that there are a number of other rungs in this book where you, t- you get into commitments and innovation strategy, a variety of, of things that make good characteristics of a leader. What are some ways that they can actually find out where this book is at and learn a little bit more? So the book's being sold on Amazon. And the title is Grabbing the Next Run, Heart of Leadership. You can also get on my website, which is uh, Rodney D. Ryder. 
Yeah, we'll link to both in the show notes, also the link through to Amazon to get that. So Rodney, what are you doing now? Like, what are, how are you applying these skills? You know, I'm having a chance to go into a lot of different organizations now. I've been to a number of, just got back from Belarus. I was in a hospital in Belarus, two hospitals actually there. And incredible people doing incredible work. Same same commitment to their patients. And, and I saw that in Israel as well. They're, they have really large hospitals there. And then, you know, hospitals here in, in Idaho at the moment, but St. Luke's is a great system. And I've been to New York with a number of systems there that are doing great things met with their CEOs and such. Such a commitment to making the community and, and the patient experience and the quality care that much better. So I love supporting that. I'm serving as a as a president for a software firm right now as well. As the, they have the right motive too. A company called Patient Innovations is really looking at how can they improve the communication and really the efficiency of clinics and what is the process that will help that patient be seen that much sooner, even on, on waiting, being able to say, all right, I can do balanced loading. I can do, I'm, I'm waiting for uh, an appointment. Here's a way of speeding it up so I can be seen sooner. Just so, so many wonderful things going on. I was on the phone with uh, somebody from Israel yesterday, then another company on, on Friday. And they have an incredible product they've come up with to help even improve the, the outcomes and the interventions or procedures for breast cancer. Just so many people doing so many things that are just incredible. I'm just amazed. It's it's the best time to be in healthcare because miracles are happening, not only in the U.S. but all over the world, and we're able to to impact the patient that much better. Which brings us all, I think, always back to leadership. How do you spend your time? How can you best impact the patients in your community in, in all these different options you have? What's your mission overall? And and then what teams do you have in place to help support you? And how are you supporting that again? That emerging and inspiring leader. Clearly, internationally, for this industry, and I guess for all industries, the concept around uh, getting to the heart of leadership is is so critical, not only in times of change and times of pandemic, but at all times. So such a valuable resource, Rodney, and you have shared such great insights today in this in this conversation. I really appreciate it. You are always so great to speak with, Chris. Thank you for the time and thanks for asking such insightful questions and get me excited to talk about it. So I'm actually really fortunate and, and blessed to, to talk to you and to share some of these ideas. So, And for those people listening in, make sure to check the show notes because I'm, we're going to link to all of those things, including your, your website, the book and uh, everything else. So thank you again, Rodney, for your time. Thank you, Chris, very much. All right, special thanks to Rodney for coming back on the show and uh, excited to uh, hear more and read a new book and uh, appreciate him coming on and talk a little bit about leadership. So always uh, great to have folks back on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, as we round out the show, just another plug for the TPS report. Again, if you go to touchpoint.health, you'll notice up in the top nav, uh, you can click on the TPS report, give us your email address. We'll send you an email each Monday morning, first thing with five articles to start your week. Uh, also in the footer or kind of down towards the bottom of that email are some quick links to upcoming industry conference and educational opportunities. So be on the lookout for that. And let's skip on over to recommendations. All right, I'll start. I'll make, I'm going to make a recommendation for an app that you might be surprised that I'm making that recommendation because I'm not a big sports guy. I'm really uh-huh. not. But I had the pleasure of uh, attending a couple of baseball games this summer, probably still will, you know, as we 
move into the fall. And I started using the ballpark app. Have you heard of this app? Have you used it no, before? Uh-huh. This is the major league baseball app, official app for major league baseball. All right. And it's called a uh, ballpark or MLB ballpark. If you want to download it, I think it's in all the places where you get, where you can get it. So if you buy tickets through like will call or wherever, however you buy your tickets, you know, you can actually have them sent to this app. And so the app u- is used as a, your kind of like your mobile check-in right on your site. And I know you can also get that like text message to your phone and things like that. But here's the thing I like about the app. First of all, when you go into it, you can not only track your tickets, which is a whole section, like you have your wallet, you can buy tickets from the app itself for any major league baseball team. You can also go and select the teams that you're interested in. So you have a drop down where you could say, I'm interested in these various teams. So maybe you don't have a local team. Maybe you're tracking teams at the national level. Maybe you're traveling to another city to go, you know, like we did. We went to go see a Red Sox mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. You can go and you could choose that. And then it pulls up all the information you need, not only about the team, all the stats, their schedules, et cetera, but it also has information about the ballpark in which they're playing for that particular game. Uh, information about merchandise, how you can get merchandise. You can even buy merchandise through the nice. app. They even have an icon here called Beer Me, which tells you which beers are available at the ballpark. I think it's an important one for some of us. Yep. And, you know, a variety of different things that you can get. You can even interact and link to their various different websites, the Major League Baseball websites on the teams, etc. It's just a really interesting app that's starting to build a community around baseball fans. And I have found it to be really interesting. Again, I'm not really a uh, uh, a sports guy, but I have I do like attending a baseball game every so often. And this app really made it a really great experience for me. So that's my recommendation this week. There you go. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. I am actually going to go a little different direction. I'm going to recommend a, what are these called? Docu-series. Um, it's a four-part series that is a documentary. So docu-series. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's an Amazon original. It's called Lula Rich. Oh, yes. <laughs> I just saw that. So those of us that have been kind of in this industry for a while, and when I say industry, I don't mean healthcare. I mean uh, marketing and sales, I guess, are probably familiar, as most people are, with uh, something called a multi-level marketing program. Almost said scheme, but anyway, I'll reserve my opinion there. There there was a really, really uh, popular time in kind of the 2015, 15 to 17 time range where all these women wanted certain leggings and it was from a company called uh, LuLaRoe. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil this whole thing, but it's a four-part docuseries about LuLaRoe and how they became a billion-dollar organization and you know, kind of what, what ultimately happened there to these thousands of women. Um, and so anyway, the founders are interviewed and like all their kids work for them. Anyway, it's just, it's really interesting. So anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a four part series. It's on Amazon called Lula rich. So anyway, it's good stuff. It's really great. I really enjoyed watching that. And yeah, I didn't know much about Lula row the, the actual company, but I was like, just fascinated that this actually happened. And yeah, it's really worth it. Four episodes. We were able to kind of breeze through it pretty quickly because it just, it was riveting. So yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. So anyway, check that one out. It, I think you'll enjoy it. It's, it's well done. It's, you know, it's not like seasons and seasons long and, you know, each episode is like, I don't know, 40 minutes or something. And so, uh, there's four of them. It's, it's a good one to check out. So 
Little Ridge. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. Uh, we certainly, certainly appreciate it. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening or streaming. And tell somebody. Go tell two people about the show. We would certainly appreciate it. Word of mouth is still the number one way people find out about much of anything. But uh, we would certainly appreciate the advocacy and support there. Reach out to us. Twitter, LinkedIn is probably the best way to track Chris and I down. Uh, let us know what you think about the show. If there's topics you'd like for us to cover, folks you'd like to have us uh, interview and have on, uh, we would certainly love to love to hear that. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.